Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. Bridge differences with mediation. So, welcome to Video Cam and Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. My name's Scott Dougherty, and I'm here today with Carol Hope of Hope Mediation. Uh, Carol's worked for decades with young people and families um, and has mediated since 1991. Uh, she's been instrumental in developing professional practice standards in mediation over the years um, and also in sp helping spread the word about peer mediation in Scotland. So welcome Carol. Thank you. So we're talking today about the, the impact of separation in young people um, and how to engage young people in the mediation process. So to kick this off, Carol, I wonder if you could talk about the kind of uh, impact you've experienced in young people affected by separation. I, I think it's, it's a really interesting point. One of the issues for young people um, is, is not in fact about the separation, it's about as we all know, it's that the continued conflict that goes between parents and the assumption that no matter what parents do, kids will be fine because they're resilient. And I do think, yes, kids are resilient, but I think at a time when they need more information about what's going on, oftentimes they get less information. And that's, that's in, in my experience, because parents are often emotionally absent from their children's needs at the point when their own needs are heightened. Yeah, and that, that's not just their personal needs, that can be, you know, where are we going to get money to live, you know, all of these things. So you're, you're saying then that if, if parents are distracted with the conflict and the, the, the things going on in relation to their own conflict, you're saying that they might not have the, the time uh, perhaps to deal with their, their own kids? Uh, and how they yeah, I think it's the emotional space to deal with their own children that they don't have because there's so much going on for them. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the information uh, and you know how much information the kids might have uh, after separation. Some parents might take the view, well, it's best to to keep as much from the kids as possible because that'll you know shield them from all this conflict and they'll get through it better. What are your thoughts about yeah. that? Um, I think there is a good argument for that about not sharing. It's about sharing information that's appropriate to share. Like you, you, you know, you don't want parents sharing information about what they think about each other's new partners or whatever. But you do want them to share the information that they have new partners and that they're okay with it. Yeah. Because yeah. the more you shroud things in secrecy the more we as human beings will make up our own story. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that's what children do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, obviously what, um, what we as family mediators do quite a lot is to, to help parents find that emotional space and to, uh, and to help them through their own uh, conflict levels. But, Sometimes, though, when parents are completely at odds about what they think is in the kids' best interests, uh, is, there a, is there scope for involving the children in that process, do you think? I think there's absolutely scope for involving children in the process. But you need to do an awful lot of homework with parents before you actually agree to do it. Because there's no point in involving children in the mediation process, for instance, 
if the parents are using that as another tool to get at each other. Mm. So, so to give you an example of that, um, oftentimes I'll hear parents say, oh, well, you know, the, he wants to spend more time with me. He tells me that every single time I see him. And then you get the mum saying, actually, they don't want to spend any more time with you than they currently have. So you get that dispute. Now, before I would go ahead and involve the children to hear what their views actually are, I'm going to be doing a lot of work with the parents to ensure that if the parent, if the children then came up and said, actually, do you know what? We don't want to do this or we don't want to do that. And we actually think, you know, you're making the right mess of this, mum and dad. Are you willing to hear that? And what are you going to do with that information? And, and is, that, is, that, is that more than just the, the parents saying, yeah, we'd be fine with that, whatever the kids say, we'll go with it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a bit more than that. It's got to be honest with you. It's got to be, it's got to be really robust testing that they will accept and consequently um, hear what the children are saying in the true sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. Because there's there's no point in paying lip service to involving children in the mediation process if at the end of the day the parents are going to do what they want to do anyway. Yeah. Because then, from my own personal um, perspective. I'm another adult letting them down and not listening to them. Right, right. And for parents who aren't sure about what would be involved in the process of involving the children, can you give a, an indication as to what it looks like if, if you were to do that homework with the parents and, for example, the parents yeah. did appear to be comfortable with uh, the involving yeah. the... Yeah, so if the, if the parents are comfortable with it and they genuinely are saying that, and that's the clue, <laughs> genuinely saying that they want to, to hear what the children are saying, the next step after that would be to get a date for the children to come in and speak with me in a private session. Now, when I say it's a private session, what I do at the start of that private session is I involve the parent who brings the child. So it doesn't matter if it's mum or dad. But what I say to them is, I explain who I am, what I'm going to do, how, how long it's going to be, roughly, and what will happen. And I also explain confidentiality. Because for adults and children, confidentiality means different things. Yeah. And, and I've had lots of experience of children thinking, if I tell you something, it's secret. You don't tell a single soul. Yeah, and yeah. no confidentiality for children can't work like that because, because of all the obvious child protection issues that are around. So I, but I also need to give the children permission from the parent who brings them that it will be confidential. Yeah. So I say things like, what's going to happen is you can tell me things in the room that you may want to share, but you can tell me things in the room that you don't want to share and we'll work that out. And then at the end of the session, your mum and dad will not be asking you what's happened in the room. So I'm kind of reinforcing that to the parent that brings the child, uh -huh. that it's not the expectation that the minute they walk out of the room, that the mum or dad are saying, so what did you say? What did she say? Yeah, and yeah. what did you agree? And what, you know, <laughs> so it's not about that. And I do that homework again um, with, the, with the parents before, that it wouldn't be my expectation. And it's in fact quite unhelpful if the children think we can just come somewhere, because I think there's an intrinsic value in allowing children that space to understand that somebody else that's not part of their family gets it. Yeah. That this is tough. 
that they want to please everyone. They want to do what's right for mum and they want to do what's right for dad. And it's not often the same. Yeah. So and to hear another adult saying that to children, I think is really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. So what, what kind of age do you think it's, uh, you, you would normally suggest it being appropriate to, to speak to children? Well, that's an interesting one because the Children's Scotland Act says children of an age of understanding. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, and I remember many, many years ago having a, doing a direct consultation with two children and there was a 10-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl. And the mum said, I don't want you to separate them. I don't want them to think that one's getting preferential treatment. And this was an issue with a, about a grandparent who wanted to spend time with the children. Okay. And, and so I said, yeah, I can do that. We can have individual time with the children. We can have collective time. But when they got in the room, the really funny thing was the 10-year-old boy sat there, couldn't actually articulate what he was thinking. And the six-year-old girl just gave it welly. <laughs> well, the problem is that um, my granny doesn't really like me, but she likes him. So she's doing this so that she can see him and not me. Yeah. And I was kind of sitting there going, oh, really? <laughs> Interestingly enough, that's what the mum had said. Uh-huh. Because, and, and the mum's sort of um, rationale about this was that the wee girl looked like the mum and the wee boy looked like the dad. So, you know, and this, this is paternal grandmother. So she just wanted the wee boy, she didn't want anything to do with the wee girl. And the wee girl had it completely sus, knew exactly what was what. And then we were able to eventually talk to the wee boy about how that made him feel, you know, and, and he said, I hate it. Because yeah. she's horrible and she's mean. And she's mean to her. And then she's nice to me. And that just makes us fight. So they were able to eventually talk about it. But if somebody had said to me, will you do a direct consultation with a six-year-old wee girl, I'd have said probably not. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so it's interesting that in my experience, and, and then I did one with, with five sisters. And again, it was the same scenario. The parents didn't want them split up. And the five-year-old said to me, well, the problem is, Carol, I don't really want to spend time with my biological father. And she was five. And she and said, used the word biological as well. Yeah, biological. And I said, I'm really interested in that word, biological. Because I thought that was so powder. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what it is. That's just what my mum says. Yeah. So, so that, again, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. But it's, for me, if you've got a family of children, it's not to say you're five and you're not important or you don't have a voice, but it's to say you're a family and, you know, this is difficult for all of you. That's so right. children of an age of understanding for me, yes, of course, you're not going to um, listen to a child at three-year-old um, and, and take that as the gospel because I always talk to children about changing their mind. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that as a concept, change your mind, what does it actually mean? You know, it, it means something to us as adults, but something completely different to children. And the story I always use is about Brussels sprouts. And when I was a child, my grandmother used to make us, and I'm saying make us, eat Brussels sprouts. And they were from the garden. And nine times out of 10, there was a beastie in them. And it was the most disgusting thing I have ever had to experience in my life, that and tripe. But actually now as an adult, I quite like Brussels sprouts. 
So I've changed my mind completely. So I use food and I ask them, you know, what's their favourite food now and what food do they not like? And I remember doing this exercise with a wee boy and then in Princess Street Gardens, he came up to me and I never acknowledge children first unless they acknowledge me first, you know. So I saw this wee boy and he sort of marched up to me, is how I would describe it, and said, hello. I said, oh, hello. He said, do you remember me? I said, I do remember you. He said, I still hate chicken. And walked away. <laughs> and the people that are were going, what on earth? <laughs> <laughs> but I think to try and help children think about um, what, what they think today might not be what they're thinking about tomorrow or the next day. And they might change their mind. So, and you mentioned obviously about the, the use of the word biological and uh, and one of the parents bringing the, the children. One of the things commonly uh, we hear of from parents is, particularly one parent, is that uh, the, the children, their, their minds are being, being poisoned against me uh, by the other parent. Um, she's saying this or he's saying that and, you know, the, the children are becoming the mouthpiece of that other parent. So in the event, you, you said obviously you would prepare the parents uh, to, to listen to what was being said by the children. But let's say that one of the children comes back and says something completely the opposite to what uh, one parent wishes in terms of the arrangements, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and there is this sense that, well, mums or dads maybe in the background saying things. How, how would that be worked through, do you think? I mean, I think, I think that's an interesting point. And, and there are some cases where it's clearly obvious that that's what's happened. But when you're in the room with children, and parents for that matter, you can only deal with what you get. And I, I often say to people, you know, I, I'm not about finding out the truth here. That's not my job. I don't need to know who's poisoning the children or who's, you know, I don't need to know any of that. Because the way that I do my job is that I believe everything everybody tells me. Yeah. Now that's quite an interesting thing to say in mediation because you can see then people's faces going, all right. <laughs> so if she's believing me, she's also believing him. And and likewise for the children. Yeah, so, so so for me, the, the truth, as it were, doesn't really matter, doesn't really come into it. It's, I will bring that conversation round to the parents for them and say, I'm hearing you saying this. And I'm hearing you saying that. What do you think? What do you think this is doing to your children? Yeah. What what effect is this having on them? Because one of the things that I'll say to parents often is, separation and divorce isn't a huge, big, hairy monster that comes out of the carpet and damages children. It's not. It's it's what we do that damages them. And I've seen loads, loads, and loads, thousands of children who are perfectly happy, perfectly happy, but they're only perfectly happy if the parents can manage that. Yeah. And the parents need to be okay. I think the, the best interest of the children uh, sentence, statement, is an interesting one. Because actually, it has to be, to some extent, in the best interest of the parents too. Yeah. Because if the parents aren't happy with what's been said, and what's been done, and what the arrangements are, then the children will pick that up. Sure. So their happiness is important too. So mums and dads' happiness is important. And they need to be okay 
not happy with the arrangements because it's not about being happy, but being okay and being able to live with the agreement that they've reached in mediation and not feel coerced by by society that says this is what it should be. Yeah. So, so really, it's as you said before, it's it's about the information, uh, and you know, children are are, are spoken to um, by yourself. They would then. The, what what they had said would be fed back to the parents and that's just information to be dealt with it's not as if the parents or yourself would be asking the children to make the decision about oh, no, absolutely not I mean that is your worst possible scenario who do you want to live with you know that whole sentence who do you want to live with and I sometimes say if that's been an issue if where the children live has been an issue I, I sometimes start that off by saying I'm not going to be asking you that question so don't worry about it. Yeah, because yeah. it is a big, you know, it's a big, big fear that children have that somebody somewhere is going to ask them that question, which is horrendous. Sure. Because in 99.9% .9 of all cases I've ever dealt with, if I said to the children, I've got a magic wand, you're allowed one wish, what would that one wish be? It's for their mum and dad to get back together. Mm. Even if in horrendous circumstances, even when they've all moved on and they've all got new partners and new babies and all that, re-blended families and all of that stuff, you still get children say it. They just want to be normal. They just want to have a mum and dad that live in the same house. That's right, that's right. To find out how mediation can help you, follow us at Cam Scotland on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, or visit camscotland.co.uk. So, so what then if um, they have an idea, maybe it's not uh, for the, the parents to get back together, but they have an idea about what the arrangements are or what the, the big thing is they, they would like to see happen. But let's say after discussing that in mediation, the parents both themselves agree to do something else. Uh, I'm just wondering, you meant, you meant, you talked before about, you know, parent, the, the, the children perhaps not feeling listened to by someone and there's just another adult not listening to them. So if, if mm -hmm. ultimately the parents make a decision that differs from what the, the children said to you they wanted to happen, how is that worked through? Well, I, I think that's a good um, point to be making at this because what you don't want to be doing when you do involve children in the mediation process is to set it up, i.e., what you say is going to happen. Yeah. You know, that, that what we're doing is we're exploring what you definitely don't want to happen. And in, in all cases, apart from one, one horrendous case, but one um, case out of the thousands that I've dealt with, where they've not actually been able to use that as the basis to work something around. Um, because I say to them, you know, not necessarily what we're saying in this room is going to happen but your parents really are interested in hearing what it is you think would work for the family. Sure, sure. So, so I don't set it up as to saying, because you say you want to do X, Y, and Z, then that's necessarily going to happen. I'm very careful when I'm talking with children that I don't actually do that. Yeah. Because yeah. then that's setting them up. Mm -hmm. So do you have any contact with the children afterwards, apart from meeting them in the park occasionally? <laughs> We do follow-up sessions um, and in fact one uh, case that I had quite recently the wee girl phones up and she asked for another appointment mm -hmm. and neither her mum and dad knew what it was about. Oh really? So 
Yeah, so that was an interesting one. That doesn't happen very often, but she just, you know, I always start off the session it is to say that this session is about them. It's about them having the capacity to just go more, you know, and, and get off their chest all the things that are driving them crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, you know, I start off by giving them that space. Sure, sure. And I remember when I was early doors working in family mediation, Lothian, and the doorbell rang, and it was just after we moved, because we used to be in Rose Street, and then we moved to George Street. So it was just after we'd moved into the new offices, and the doorbell rang, and this woman came in, and she was, I mean, her face was, like, unbelievable. And so I was kind of looking at her, and I said, are you all right? She said, I can't, I can't actually believe that there's books about this situation. And I said, oh, yeah, I said, there's books, there's DVDs, there's posters. There's... And she went, she said, I'm sitting at home thinking nobody will ever understand this. Nobody will ever. And, and to her, the, the biggest benefit of coming into that office for her was to see that actually it's quite a common thing. Yeah. This has gone on for lots of people. And I think for me, it's about helping children appreciate and young people appreciate that for them, this is a unique situation, but for loads of other, this is what I do, it's my job. That's and they kind of go, oh, <laughs> why would you want to do this as a job? But for them, I think it's really um, helpful that we are, it's normalizing an abnormal situation. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, so in, in just in terms of the um, how, how you approach these kind of cases. I've seen down south, for example, sometimes where the feedback part of it is actually done with the children in the room as the same parents. Is that something you would ever think about? Uh, I'll give them that option. I'll say, you you know, you can come into, this is how we can do this. We can, you know, you can write something down. You can draw a picture. You can just give the information to me. So I give them a range of options. I say that they can come into to the mediation session to tell their parents, or they can come in while I'm telling their parents the session. No, they don't want to do it. They don't want to be in the room. And I have mediated with children and their parents, but that's a different process. That's a different thing altogether. That's not just giving feedback. That's everybody in the room trying to work out what they're going to do. And that, you know, I find that really successful. Um, what, what kind of situation would uh, that be appropriate, do you think? I, I think that's appropriate for, um, for step-family situations where um, you know, the children are not getting on with a new step-mom or a new step-dad and it gives everybody the opportunity to have their voice heard in the room at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I would use that approach um, for step-family situations. Sure, sure. So, thinking then about that, there's obviously ways within the court process for young people to, to become involved. Uh, for yeah. example, they, they're asked to complete a form uh, if a, a court action is raised. Sometimes mm -hmm. they might be asked to speak to a judge um, or even instruct their own solicitor. What are your thoughts about that kind of involvement in resolving things? Well, I've um, recently been involved in the, the uh, redraft of the F9 forum, the forum that goes out for children. Sure. Um, because I, I think that the original forum was awful, <laughs> if I'm honest. 
That's so it had this tiny little box, like, and it said, what I want to say about my future. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so, so hopefully the redrafted form that has been worked on at the moment will actually be better. But the other issue is that when that F9 form is delivered to children, it's del delivered and one parent or the other will be helping the children fill that form in. Yeah. So how free does a young person actually feel, even if you go back to the old F9 form? How do they feel about filling in that form when the parent that they live with, potentially, is sitting at the same table as them? That's right. I just think it's really tricky. It's, it's really hard for them. I think, I think to use the F9 form, or the equivalent new one, whatever it's going to be called, and to get someone else to help them fill that in is much more an appropriate way rather than the form sent to the child. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think at one point it was the sheriff's officer that delivered it or That's recorded true. the delivery. Oh, and only given to the child. I mean, absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a fan of that, but I think the new redrafted form will be better than what we've currently got. Um, as far as uh, a sheriff or a judge um, approaching a child or having a conversation with a child about their views, again, I think that's a really scary process because it doesn't matter, you know, even people that are frequently in court and that's the, their life in court, it's still an intimidating place. Yeah. And I know that there's lots of fantastic sheriffs and judges out there that would have the capacity to hear children, but... I just don't think it's the right place to do it. It's too scary. It's it's a scary, intimidating place. Sure. So what you're saying then is that the best way for them to be involved, if, if it is appropriate for them to be involved, is through a, a child-inclusive mediation, that, that, that kind of approach. Yeah. 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 Or, a, or a children's counsellor attached onto a mediation service. Right. Because that's, you know, that would be a, another, another way to do it. Because... Everyone that sees children, all the mediation uh, services in Scotland, it's a separate training course um, for actually speaking with children. Yeah. So you go through your family mediation course um, and then you go through another course. So people are trained and supported um, through supervision to, to do this work. And I think that's crucial. Yeah. You know, who's, who's doing it? Are you equipped to do it? Um, you know, you're, you're working on the, on the basis that you do no more harm um, than has already been done. So, and it needs to be measured. It needs to be something that you can actually say, look, here's the process, here's how it works. And, you know, there's, there's a safety net around there for children. Sure, sure. And that's, that's obviously be helpful for uh, children to, to have uh, an option there of counselling or something like that when they've yeah. been involved in the conflict. A lot of what we do um, is deal with the, as I say, the conflict between mum and dad or dad and dad or mum and mum. And really uh, their uh, ability to, to cope with uh, the, the situation. But for the children who are seeing the conflict, um, it, it, one of the things that's always struck me is that we only ever really start to think carefully about how to handle conflict when it's too late, when we're already in the middle of it. Um, and this is where I think your work in peer mediation is, is something that is very interesting. I wonder if you could talk a little about what peer mediation is. Well, peer mediation has been around in Scotland since the late 90s. 
I got involved in 2004 and I was um, asked by a group of people who were in West Lothian if I could come and help them because they all they had they, you know, loads of experience in working with children but none of them were practicing mediators and they wanted to develop this, this course for um, mediation in schools and they've got this training manual and so they said would you come and have a look at it so I went and had a look at it and there was nothing wrong with the training manual but I just thought it's not how children learn it's not how they're going to do it because mediation is a very doing thing you can't just talk about it you need to actually do it much to the disgust of people who train as mediators <laughs> practice it um, so I kind of said look I'll, I'll come and help you but I can't use that training material so so I had like three days to rewrite the training <laughs> Um, so we, we did a bit of, of things uh, that were in the, the original manual, but then we had all these children, and I, to be perfectly honest with you, I thought it was barking mad. The whole idea of training children and need to be mediators, because I was this family mediator that taken years and years to do it. You know, it, and I just thought it was a crazy, crazy idea, but I was interested because it was my two passions, working with young people and mediation. So I thought, well, what can go wrong? Oh, well, <laughs> watch this face. And, um, so, so yes, I went uh, uh, and participated in this five days. By day one, children were running crazy up and down the walls, you know, doing what children do. Uh, by day three, they were mediating. And I was blown away, completely blown away. I'm not talking about sophisticated, I'm just talking about the basics of mediation. And what, and, ages, what ages of uh, kids were these? Um, these were uh, 9, 10 and 11 year olds who came from absolutely horrendous backgrounds. One of the schools that I worked in uh, worth with the kids the head teacher spent more time in the accident and emergency at lunch breaks because of physical fighting in the playground. Yeah. And and when I went back, so we trained the kids, the feedback was, I mean, it was really mind-blowing. The feedback from the children was, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. I was mediating with my mum and dad last night. I was mediating with my brother about who had the first bath. You know, and it was just, I was just thinking, well, this is just circumstances of all these really enthusiastic, passionate people, myself included, and that's why it's worked. Yeah. But I was, I wanted to do it again because I wanted to find out was this just a fluke? What you know, what happens? So they had a, a review process about three months after we did the training, and we went back to the schools, and one of the wee boys, and I quote, said, "Our peer mediation is shit." And I said, "All right, okay, tell me about that. Tell me why you think that." He says, "Because nobody fights anymore." And for me, that was the, the revelation because eventually they were all mediating. Yeah. They were all mediating their everyday little squabbles. So that to us is, is just for goodness sake. Yeah. But to them, end of the world. So, so what does the, the training look like? Very, very kind of in, gen, in general, how does it look like for our children? Um, it's a very similar process actually to adults, except that the way I've developed the, the training is very much um, games based. Every game that we play is linked into some stage of mediation. Um, and by by the end of 
I mean, I think the, the gene in that is condensed into two Ds in a, in a fabulous new world that we don't live in, it would be back to five days. But nobody, one, has the money, two, have the staff that they can release, and they don't have the capacity out of, out of the curriculum to take five days out. Yeah. So I've condensed the training into two days and I do a lot of work with the schools before I actually go in and, and start working with the children. But you, you would have to see this to believe it. By one o'clock on the first day, we have children mediating. Yeah. So I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting for a nanosecond that it's all big, highly sophisticated stuff. I'm saying they understand that they can problem solve an issue that is affecting them in playgrounds. Mm -hmm. And why do you and think it's easier for, for them to do that? You know, if, obviously it does take uh, people of our, uh, <laughs> our age yeah. a wee bit longer, but, but you're saying, is it because the kids are in that learning environment maybe? Or? I, think, I think there's lots of things. I think they're in the learning environment. They don't have the nonsense that we have in our heads about <laughs> about the vocabulary that you need to use and the, you know, non-judgmental language. They've not developed it, so they can't be bothered with it or be worried about it. Um, I remember in a school in Glasgow that I worked in, and this wee boy, um, if I ever get stuck in my head when I'm mediating, I remember this wee boy who said, said to these two kids, what's your problem? Tell me the story. Um, so it's not my problem. I'm not going to tell anybody else about it. What are you going to do about it? And it was as simple as that. Now, that's basically what we do in mediation. Yeah. Tell yeah. me your story. It's not my story, so it's not mine to fix. What are you going to do about it? And it was for me, it was genius. Absolute genius. It cut away all the nonsense that we can add in about mediators or transformative and narrative and no, just get to what the problem is. Tell me what your problem is. Okay, hear it from the other person's point of view. So what are you going to do about it? Because it's not my problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if this, this is a, a skill, I think perhaps you might agree that it should be part of the curriculum, is that? 100% I agree that. You're saying having to condense the training in order to, to fit it outside the curriculum, you're saying that maybe it should be a bit more involved in the... the I absolutely believe it should be part of the curriculum because many, many schools, and I'm talking thousands of schools in this country and abroad because I've trained children in Sri Lanka and I've been to to Macedonia, loads of places, loads of other places say the same thing. Children, our children are losing the capacity to problem solve. Mm -hmm. And they're losing that capacity to problem solve just because of society. Because when I was young, you went out to play, if you fell out with someone or somebody did something and you went in and said to your mother, he did or she said or they did, you got kept in. <laughs> You were the one that didn't get back out to play because your mother couldn't be bothered with it. So, and I don't think my mother wasn't a typical, she was a typical mother of, the, of that, that time and I know I'm old, but I then learned the law of the jungle was, don't speak to him, he's a bully, don't play with her because she's a woman. You know, so you learned all these skills as a young person. Now our young people are very rarely allowed out to play as such. Even when they're in the playground, they have a teacher or a, a support assistant to help them. So they don't get to play and understand the rules of the game. 
So that problem-solving capacity that we developed as young people is, is being diminished by the fact that there's always somebody there that's going to fix it. Yeah. And somebody else is going to fix it for them because they don't know how to. Yeah. So, so in order to, to breed the next generation of conflict resolvers then, let's say in five years' time, where do you think peer mediation should be uh, in terms of you know, the, the uh, immersing in schools? Well, I think peer mediation should be in every single school. And it should be part of the curriculum. It should be just what we do with our children. Because as a mediator, I don't just use my skills when I'm in the room and I've got half a dozen people in front of me. I use the mediation skills all the time. You know, when I'm on the phone to the bank, when somebody's standing too close to me in the cash line machine, you know, loads of times when I'm actually using the skill of mediation. Yeah. And, and also to help young people cope with this, the, the modern day society, which is full of conflict. They're, they're, they're shown and demonstrated conflict all the time video games, all these things that they see, you know, what's what's real and what's not real and how do you actually cope with it? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So you're saying that, you know, a wee bit of peer mediation uh, in school will stand kids in good stead as they grow up? That Absolutely. Scott, you wouldn't, honestly, you wouldn't believe the feedback that we get in feedback forms from children who'll say things like, I wish I'd known this before. Mm. I wish I'd known how to sort this out before. And in fact, one wee girl in a school in East Lothian said, I wish I had had peer mediation in my last school because my mummy and daddy wouldn't have had to have moved house to get me to this school. Right. So I, I kind of saw this and thought, oh, what's that? And when I spoke to the, the teacher, she said she was bullied to the point where it was, it was uncontrollable and the parents took her out of the school and had to move house to get her in the school in another catchment area. Yeah. Now that, for a 10 year old child to have that level of self-awareness and understanding is unbelievable. Yeah. And most of the, the young people who participate in peer mediation will say, has it boosted your confidence? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's what we want is confident young, young people who can then deal with what the world's going to throw at them. Sure. So for me, there's an intrinsic value in participating in the training, even supposing they never mediate a case in their life. Because it's about saying, you can actually control this. You have the power to keep the decision-making processes for yourself and work it out. So what People do you say that, sorry, no. there's, that there's an intrinsic value in in participating in mediation because there's an educative factor to that because then you won't need to do it again when you understand that just by listening to people um, it's, it's a benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So what do you think it needs uh, to get there um, in terms of you know getting into the curriculum? We are where we are at the moment and you know that there are some people like yourself who are quite innovative and in going around the, the various schools one by one, but you know, it, what, what's it going to take in order to get us to a point in say five years time where, as you say, every school has this? I mean, I think it's really interesting. The, the Scottish Government are very keen um, to, to promote peer mediation um, because I was a keynote speaker at a conference in Macedonia 
So I wanted a kind of statement from our government to say what they thought about peer mediation. And it was fantastic, you know, they thought it was great, they thought, you know, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's all very well to say it's great and it's wonderful and it's marvellous and it benefits children and the school and the community. Do something about it, you know, because it wouldn't take an awful lot of money. The Scottish Mediation Network have a development officer paid through um, the big lottery. But that money will run out. Yeah. And and so it needs it needs government support. And and when I say that, it's already there. It just needs somebody to champion it a bit more. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll take that message on and uh, and see where we are in five years' time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get in contact in five years' time and I'll still be well. Exactly. Still harping on, that's it. <laughs> Where is this woman going to shut up? Oh, I know. <laughs> well, thanks again for your, your time today, Carol. It's been illuminating, um, and I hope the message does begin to, to spread like wildfire. Absolutely. So, to yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and thanks for watching and listening. You've been watching, listen to audio cam and video cam for Cam Scotland. You've been listening to audio cam with Cam Scotland. For more interviews and links to our mediators, subscribe on iTunes and thanks for listening.